Doran here, son of Doran, grandson of uh, Doran. And I'd like to take this time to thank you for joining the Rancid Tacos podcast. It's not every day you can go mining for mithril and find a handful of shite. And these guys dig it out every single show. But I wonder if they even know what they're talking about. Well, I know for certain they don't. But if you also know for certain they don't, just reach out to them, send a message. Tell them they've been mining in all the wrong holes, if you know what I mean. (laughs) And I think you do. Thank you once again for joining the Rancid Taco Podcast. I'm Doran, son of Doran, grandson of Doran, and please enjoy the rest of the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Rancid Taco Movie Review Podcast! I'm Skylar Sanders, here with the Arondir to my borrowing Mason Weir. <laughs> Who's Barwin? Darwin? Bronwyn? Bronwyn. <laughs> what did I say? Barwin? Yeah, Barwin. I'll borrow your win, you borrow my win. No. But tonight, we are <laughs> going to review episode four of The Rings of Power, titled The Great Wave. Ooh. Ominous and title. What do you think that refers to? I'm surprised that they spoiled the whole story for us right here. In truth... The Great Wave is probably a reference to the future of Numenor. Yes. And we will start the episode here in Numenor, where Muriel, the queen, dreams of the drowning of Numenor. So now we see what the title's about. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing is right off the bat, we get, a, we get a dream, right? Yeah, she's dreaming and she sees the seas. Wow, sees the seas. Sees the seas. She sees the seas flooding her beautiful city of Numenor. Can we say that she views the seas? We could, but it wouldn't be as cool sounding as sees the seas. Yeah, all right, all right. She views the sea. It's a horrific dream that she's having. We're making light of it, but it's just horrible. Yeah. What a nightmare. What a nightmare that could never possibly happen. (laughs) (laughs) What a nightmare. (laughs) Stop it. We call it, I call it a nightmare, all right? That's probably what she calls it, too. But she can't speak because her mouth is flooded with seawater, with with look water. (laughs) (laughs) It's a night mirror. Yes, a night mirror. And we didn't adequately explain it, but Muriel is having a nightmare about a sea wave flooding her city of Numenor. And thank God we don't know anything about the lore of the of Numenor and how it ends because we might draw conclusions from that. I think we can spoil this. I can we? It's, yeah, it's Please, in the book. We've do. read the Please. book. Let's, yeah. let's share our knowledge here. Yeah, let's do. We've already spoiled it in past episodes anyway. Yeah. But we know that Numenor eventually becomes the subject of the wrath of the Valar, which are the gods of this world. And they are the ones that caused the sea to rise up and overtake Numenor. That's going to happen. And Muriel is yeah. seeing it in a vision. She's seeing it as a prophecy or foresight. But she knows it's going to happen, too. And so that's it, why she's so wary. If you want it in a summary, just think Atlantis. Numenor is Atlantis. And it's this perfect, awesome, beautiful world that just gets completely swamped by the ocean and sunk to the bottom of the sea. Yep, that's the perfect analogy, and that's what Tolkien was going for. Numenor is his Atlantis. But here on screen, Muriel, we mentioned, was just having a dream. And when she wakes up, she's disturbed not only by her dream, but by the state of her kinsmen, who have now formed an angry rabble in the courtyard. Workers at play. Who's leading the rabble? You want the actor's name or the character's name? Well, we both know who it is. We don't need actor or character. We know that it's our favorite, the low man. The low man. Actually, the, the guy that punches the low man, but that's yeah. that's the guy, the union president there. Yeah, and he's actually not a, and a favorite actor of mine. I don't like his performance so far at all. But uh, he is doing a convincing job of telling us that the elves 
are going to take our jobs because think about it. It makes sense. They don't sleep. They don't hardly eat. They can work more hours. It's all very political and very relevant to today's stuff. What's this one elf really have to do with? You do know elves still exist, right? And why do you think this one frail female blonde elf is going to come and just destroy your whole way of life? Uh, I take issue with the description of frail, but I do agree with your Well, point. she looks frail. She's obviously not frail. Yeah, she's a badass, and we get to see some of that in this episode. But the rabble is happening, and that's just furthering the storyline that the Numenorians really hate the elves. The commoners especially hate the elves. Guess who else they don't like? Who? The Loman! Loman! Off-brand, our favorite Aragorn <laughs> knockoff <Off> hero. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot we caught him off brand. That guy sucks. Yeah, we, that guy's a joke. We don't get him just yet, though. We get a scene with the, uh, what do they call him? The Commissioner the Farazon. What do they call him? <laughs> Commissioner Gordon Farazon. Yeah, com- <laughs> Chancellor. That's it. Chancellor. Chancellor Farazon. That's it. Yeah. We get Chancellor Farazon, and we meet a new character here, his son. I don't think we've met him yet, right? Mm hmm. This son's name is Kemen or, or Kemen. <laughs> or maybe it's semen. Maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong. <laughs> the se- hey, the semen is always right. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of this nerdy little son? Yeah, I thought he was pretty nerdy. Um, he seems kind of cool in a sense. Like his whole storyline is he's hitting on what's her name? I'm not, a, not an Arian, but uh, Arian. Arian, yeah. The uh, the sister of Isildur, so his whole story, his whole character arc is just like to be a guy hitting on her. I think. Also, he's trying to convince his father not to team up with Galadriel. His father being Farazhan, yeah. he's he's against the elves as well. Yeah. So he's kind of a representation of the the uh, Union guys, but he's royalty. Mm-hmm. So that's him. You mentioned he likes hitting on. Yarin. How, how are we going to say her name? Yarian. Aarian. Aarian. That sounds right. That sounds elven enough. Yeah, and that's Elendil's daughter. So Galadriel, your favorite protagonist, she asks Queen Muriel to back the Southlanders. We've already seen that that's her goal while she's in Numenor, but Muriel is refusing to do so. And in fact, she even gets kind of pissed off when Galadriel references the true king, the father of Muriel. Yes, such a sensitive subject. <laughs> you, got, you got anything to say about the true king of Numenor here? Well, I got plenty to say about the true king, but it's like, why are we so sensitive about him being him at all? I'm not sure that's been revealed to us just yet. Well, it hasn't. You want to spoil that or what? Well, go ahead. You sp- do, you know, yeah. do you know his name? No, no. Tal Palantir. Palantir. Oh, okay, it is. Yeah, let's not spoil that yet because that comes up later. Well, but it's like we already said it. But if you if you know what a palantir is, you know in reference to what his name might mean. Okay, so he is his name being palantir. Maybe Muriel, her foresight has more meaning than just being a dream. Yes. All right. Well, let's not go any further with that just yet. Mm-hmm. We do know she has a father who's bedridden and who is the true king. Yeah. And because Galadriel referenced this king, Muriel has her thrown back into jail, this time for the charge of sedition. Which she's guilty of. Oh, Galadriel's awesome. I'm, I'm full on with this bullheaded Galadriel now that you hate so much. I actually really <laughs> like Galadriel. I'm, I'm leaning right into Oh, her. God. This is her shining episode, I think. Like, uh, I, I, I want to, if I was... Queen Muriel, I just immediately cut off her head. Just kill her? Yeah, just kill her and be like, all right, well, that we're done with it. Now we don't have to deal with this sassy mouth uh, elf. And then you don't have to worry about the wave coming and taking your city because the elves will come and murder you instead. Yeah, because, uh, because Galadriel is really just a spoiled brat. <laughs> no, no, she's determined and she knows what she wants but what she wants is the right thing no one else sees it but she's right no she's like i'm born of the first elves 
I get to do everything I want. Oh, yeah. Actually, I want to bring this up now. This is one of my favorite lines from this episode, and I'll just say it now. What gets her thrown into jail is she says, there is a tempest in me, and it will not be quelled by you, Regent. Oh, yeah. Did you not get the uh, reference to Immediate, Immediately. It's a, uh, what is it? Um, Steward. Permission is not granted to you to deny the return of the king, steward. Yep. Well, that was one of our favorite lines from Lord of the Rings, and I was happy to see this alteration and inclusion in this episode. Wow, I I don't know if I was happy to see it, but I did recognize it. Regent. Regent. Her was an insult. That's what you should have called me instead of calling me Broin or whatever you did for the intro. (laughs) You should have called me Regent. That would have been an insult like this. Well, Broin was kind of... Broin is a main character. Broin's not even a thing. You don't know if she's not a bro. All right. Fair enough. Well, one guy that is a bro that we're going to go to now is the son of Elendil Isildur. Yes. So Isildur, as we see him here, is intentionally failing on some sailing expedition. We've already seen that he's reluctant to undertake the duties of a seaman of the Numenorians, And here he intentionally blows it for not only himself, but for his shipmates as well. Yeah. And it's like every time he looks towards the sea, uh, the land and he sees the land, we hear this voice go. Yeah. What's up with that? We, we talked about that last week and they keep doing it. It's like he's being called to the West but we thought the West was the Undying Lands, but now I'm starting to think they just mean the West of the island. No, he's like, being called to the East. I thought he no, he's being called to the West. Sorry. No, he's being called to the East. He's being called to Middle Earth. He wants to go over to Middle Earth, and uh, secret voices in his head are speaking to him. Well, last week it was definitely the West. He wanted to follow his brother out to the West. No, East. West is only Valinor. East is Middle Earth. Ah. Uh-huh. Don't think you're right, buddy. Correction time next week. I'm pretty sure. What do you mean? He's being summoned to the West. He's a man of the West. Westerness. He's a man of the West. He wants to go East to Middle Earth. Uh, Well, yeah, he does later, but I'm when he's being summoned, I don't know. The only way West you can get to is Valinor and they can't even get there. That's what I mean. I think the Western side of Numenor where he's being summoned. <laughs> he wants to sail around to the other side of the island? Yeah, just hang out on the coast wherever his brother went. It's like there are a lot of tourist stuff going on over there, like a nice islandy vacation thing happening. That's where the faithful are hanging out, the ones that are <laughs> faithful to the Valar and, and the uh, elves. Okay. All right, maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. We'll, <laughs> we'll get back around to that. <sighs> the point of the scene, though, is that his friends and shipmates are expelled along with his Ildor because of his mistake. And they are pretty pissed off at him. They reference Western shores and his dead mother. So that's what my uh, note yeah. says. I guess you're referencing Eastern shores, but I'm yeah, just no, saying he, what was written here. Yeah. He wants to go to the Eastern shores to, to the, the true Numenor, which his brother was talking about originally, which is uh, somewhere in middle earth. And uh, he ends up, he tries to just get himself fired, but he gets all of his, his two, two of his friends fired from their job, too, that they've worked their whole lives towards. And what are their names? No clue. Not me either. So fuck those guys. They'll never be remembered in history. I feel like the one guy's name is Autumno or something like that, or Autumno. Sure. Why not? Why not? Yeah. Who cares? Because these guys, like, he should have just looked at them and be like, you're a footnote in history. I'm a fucking story. Yeah. Up to this point, all of his Ildor scenes and his buddies and his sister, I just don't care about any of it. Mm. Not really. It's not a real exciting storyline. But what is an exciting storyline is where we will go next. And that is to Orkville. Mm, yeah. And finally, we left off the last episode with the semi-reveal of Adar. And here we get to properly meet the villainous elf, we learn, Adar. The full reveal of Adar, yeah. And we find that Adar is actually an elf who speaks Sindarin and speaks to 
um, Arandir and, and Sindar and, uh, and that's a huge reveal because we now know that the elves are following or the orcs are following an elf. Yeah, we speculated last week, was he an elf, a man, an orc, whatever. We kind of knew he wasn't an orc, but here it's clearly revealed. They kind of almost zoom in on his ears just to show you that they're pointed. He's an elf. And also, the orcs view him as a father, and in this opening scene of his, he heals an orc, that's air quotes, by giving it a quick death. And the orc actually (laughs) seems thankful that he's being killed quickly. Yeah, healing it is such a big word. (laughs) Well, that's yeah, why I did the he, air quotes. Yeah, he pets him on the head and says, and he's like, there, there, and then stabs him in the ribs and just ends the, ends him quick. So he gives him the gift of Iluvatar in a quick death. But we also learned, which you referenced, that he comes from Beleriand, which is now, in this time frame, under the sea. So he's one of the ancient elves as well. He's not of Middle-earth. He was originally around uh, the river Sirion, which also sank into the sea so we know that he's an ancient guy as well and maybe we'll learn a little bit more about adar as we go along yeah he's an interesting character he references eventually becoming a god to a rondeer and then this is kind of strange he sends a rondeer back to the village with a message to the men that are there of the southlands why would he let a rondeer go why not just send an orc to deliver the message or someone else Mm, yeah i don't know i guess if you send an orc, who knows how he's going to be received. Orcs look a certain way, and to be honest, they got a real bad rap in the human community. Well, they could have sent some escorts with a Rondir to make sure he doesn't end up battling against them. As the only elf in the Southlands and the only threat that they face, you'd think maybe keep this most valuable hostage here at the orc camp. Well, you know, wave a white flag, show up, have a little chat, maybe feel out where each side's on. Uh, there's more strategic ways to handle it because the Rondir is definitely one of the most deadliest people he can send back to the people he's about to attack. And speaking of those people, we go to them now here at the Watchtower where the biggest problem here and now is that they're running out of food. So our friend Theo and his angsty teenage friend from the scene in the bar at the beginning, the only friend he has, they decide that they're going to go scavenge the old village, that, the one that's been ransacked by the orcs. They go in the middle of day, in the daylight, so it should be safe, right? Well, they know it's not completely safe in the dark, but yeah, they think it's safer because it's daytime. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, like, the rules that they've set up in the show is that the, the, door, or the orcs can't show up in the middle of daylight because it burns them too bad. And they're going in the middle of daylight, and then all of a sudden, a big cloud comes overhead. And now, oof, I guess when the cloud comes, when the shade comes rolling in, the, the, the orcs do too. Yep. So Theo's friend runs away, and Theo himself is trapped in one of the buildings, and one of the orcs pops out, and there's a little mini fight here between Theo and the orc. And it's here that Theo injects himself with the sword with that sword hilt that he's been carrying around Mm, yeah what's up with that yeah well the sword apparently feeds off of blood so he injects himself with the hilt of the sword and then it turns into a real sword and then he starts cutting people with it but uh we're gonna find out that the sword is not just a sword how did he know to do that uh i i think in the episode in the episode before this he kind of uh, figures out that uh, his blood can can like feed it and, and start it up. So he knew from previous experience he was just hoping that it would work, and it, it totally did. Yeah. Oh, well, he wounds the orc that's fighting him. He runs outside, and he escapes into a well. Not sure how he got out of that well later on, <laughs> but he does escape for now, and the orcs are all searching for him and for the hilt, because now it's revealed to the orcs that this kid has the weapon they've been searching for. Yeah, and the best part is he's down the well and he makes a scream and the orc comes back and is like, wait a second. And he looks down there and, and there's he's not down there. And then when he pops up, he makes a big loud <sighs> and I'm like, why did, how did the elf not, or how did the orc not hear that and look back again? 
Well, if you look closely at the orc's ears, they've got so much hair coming out of them that they probably don't have mm. the best hearing. Yeah, orc ear hair. That does make sense. Blocking out all the sound. Yeah. So we'll leave Theo there in the well, and we'll take a quick break. But when we return, we'll finally get back to our old friend and my favorite character, Elrond. Oh, yeah. So we tease the return of Elrond, and he is back. And in this scene, he is hanging out with Celebrimbor. Celebrimbor here seems a little bit skittish to me. And we learn it's because he thinks that Durin is hiding something. Durin the dwarf. Yeah, well, and the ironic fact is that uh, he himself might be hiding something, too. Yeah, we'll learn that a bit later on. But Celebrimbor is walking on eggshells, and he sends Elrond to investigate what's going on with Durin. So we follow Elrond, who's now in Disa's chambers. That's the wife of Durin and uh, your, <laughs> your crush. Oh, those stout dwarf legs. Oh, yeah. Did you notice how sexy her stout dwarf legs were? No, no. After you mentioned it, I tried to notice it, but I just wasn't getting what? it. What? You didn't oh. notice? In this episode particularly, they give her like a one-sided dress that's hanging down and her, her uh, plump little dwarf legs. <laughs> her plump little dwarf legs are just poking out and looking all sexy. I'll keep an eye on that for the next rewatch. But no, I didn't really notice that. You didn't notice that? No. Oh, man. But Elrond here is trying to work her over for some information. And it's pretty crafty on both sides. You can tell that Elrond's digging for info without making it seem like he's prying. And mm -hmm. Disa is trying to navigate around his questions. And they're kind of playing a game of mental chess. Yeah, they're playing a game of like uh, who said exactly what and not exactly what we said. But we as the audience and Elrond knows that the dwarves have a secret. And so he creeps down into the mines where Durin is actually down there. She had told him that Durin was out of town, but he's actually down in the mines and Durin finds Elrond snooping. Yeah, he, uh, he does a little sneaking around downtown in the uh, old Moria and he finds out that... Uh, there's a secret chamber, and he goes down there. I don't know how he finds the wall that he finds, right? So he finds a little wall, and he says some secret dwarf chant. The right? chant, his, his children, Durin's children, were chanting that earlier in the episode, and Elrond yeah, and he's, heard it. He says the chant and hits the wall, and it opens up, and I'm like, man, only you and Zelda 1 players know <laughs> where the fucking put the bomb to blow up the wall. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, well I'm I'm on board with Elrond's intelligence and craftiness, so I like that. I like that. Sure, scene. I guess, I guess. But how do we know how he knew there? I don't know. But either way, we have to just accept it for what it is, and he knows it. And the wall opens up like a secret passageway because we know dwarves have these secret passageways. And then he goes even further down into the mine, and that's when Doran finds him there, creeping up on him. We're going to get a big reveal here now, and that reveal is the dwarves are mining Mithros, what? or Mithril. Mithril, which is the material that Fro Frodo's vest is made out of in Lord of the Rings. We know it's a very valuable substance. Well, Gandalf famously says, had Bilbo known... Bilbo didn't know this, but the Mithril vest he had was worth more than the Shire and all the things around it or whatever. So it was a very expensive uh, metal. Yeah, it's a very valuable metal. But we also learn here that it's perilous to mine. And Durin tells that to Elrond, but it's actually proven pretty quickly because a mine collapses while they're having that conversation. Yeah, and Doran being like the, the lover he is, just jumps right into the mine and goes to fish out the elves that are trapped under there. Yeah, Doran's a great dude, man. He's a yeah, really he's good, a good guy. Dude. He's a good dude. So that's what's going on with Elrond and the dwarves. And we will head back now to Numenor, where Galadriel consults with our old buddy Offbrand <laughs> about politics Halbrand is his real name, and Halbrand is a much better politician than Galadriel, despite 
her many centuries on Middle Earth. Yeah. <laughs> She's several thousand years old, and yet he's still teaching her how to speak to people tactfully. Well, he's trying to get through to her, but she doesn't well, pick yeah. it up. She doesn't pick it up, yeah. He's trying, she, but... She proves that she's not picking it up when she gets summoned to court, and instead of just walking to, to meet the king and queen, she beats up all of her escorts and then frightens <laughs> Elf Arizona as well. She's like, yes, I'm guilty, but... And even Halbrand tells Farazone, he's like, just let her go, man. Like, you're not going to take her the way you want to take her. Just let her beat up your yeah, guards. This bitch is crazy. Yep. Then there's a few scenes with Isildur and his sister. And my note here says I had a really hard time caring. So do you even remember anything about this scene? Because I don't. What scene? Isildur and his sister have a scene here. What do they talk about? I don't know. I was hoping you would remember because I, my note just says boring. Boring. I'm gonna rely on you for these Azildor. This is, is this when uh, Sildor and his and like is uh, Elendil talking to him as well? Mm, I don't. I don't remember. No, that no, no. This is boring as shit. Yeah, it's so bad that we don't even remember what happened. What are we doing here? Azildor and his sister are on the screen for a few minutes here. Yeah. So there they are. We've now invested absolutely nothing more into their characters. I don't feel the need to, honestly. Who cares? Uh, yeah, who gives a shit? So well, let's go back to Galadriel, someone we do care about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's now breaking into the king's bedroom, and that's the bedridden king that we referenced earlier. But Muriel, the queen, is already there. Yeah, so she meets her up there, and she wants to have a one-on-one -on -one with the king, and she finds out that the king is... He is there, but he's not exactly there because he's now taken by, is it Alzheimer's, you think, or? Some version of that, maybe. I mean, he's probably 400, 500 years old at this point. Yeah, he's really old, and the Alzheimer's got to be setting in. But also, he's bedridden and non-responsive, pretty much. Well, you referenced earlier that his name is, what was it, Al Pal Palantir? Tau, Tau Palantir. Tal Palantir, and now is when we learn as the audience that Muriel, his daughter, actually possesses a Palantir. And give us a quick rundown. What is a Palantir used for in Middle-earth? So a Palantir is uh, something that we should be familiar with from the Lord of the Rings. A Palantir is a seeing stone that was, I believe, created by maybe Feanor. I don't know exactly, I, I can't remember exactly who created it, but it's one of the great elf, elven creations. And it's a stone that you look into, and basically you can communicate to other stones by using it. It's, a, it's the first cell phone. So you look into this cell phone, and you can see other cell phones placed wherever they're placed. But uh, this is one of the more powerful Palantirs, and also the Palantirs don't always show you what you're looking at sometimes they show you what you might see in the future or what you might have seen in the past so you can't trust a palantir no they they often give you information that could be perilous to learn never even... trust a palantir that's what i learned yeah they showed denethor for example in return of the king they showed denethor the downfall of minas tirith and yeah. for denethor that did come true but the city itself survived yeah, and, but it, it might not be showing you exactly what's going to happen, but it, what could happen maybe or whatever. Yes. So you were right. It's, it's kind of like a cell phone, but it's also like a crystal ball in the sense mm -hmm. that it, it shows you prophecies. And what it is showing Muriel is the downfall of Numenor that we saw in the opening scene. And also we learned from this that that downfall coincides with the arrival of Galadriel. And that explains a lot of the frosty relationship between Muriel and Galadriel. Yeah, because she thinks that Galadriel's coming to Numenor is what's triggering the downfall of Numenor. And Galadriel's looking at it as if she doesn't help her, then that's what's going to happen to her city. So they disagree well, on the interpretation. Of yeah, she, when she sees the vision of Numenor, she says, sometimes Palantirs show you things that do not come true or that whatever. And we've Got that from Galadriel and the uh, Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson version. And so 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who to trust here, but I do know that uh, the Palantir is to be respected and feared. Yep. So they do argue about the interpretation of what they see in the Palantir because Galadriel sees the same vision, the wave, when she looks into it. And Overtake, she's, the wave overtaking all of Numenor and basically, basically crushing it back to the sea. Yes. And so Galadriel says we have to we have to go help the Southlands and destroy evil. That's how we fight against this happening. Muriel doesn't see it that way, and the two of them do not come to terms. Yeah. So we'll head back to the Southlands now, where Theo is still in the well. I feel obligated to say we do know his name is Theo, and we have decided to call him Theo. Now, he's going to be the Lord of the Mark. Down in a well. Well, he gets out of the well here in the scene. Out of the well. Yep. He tries to sneak off, but he's caught pretty quickly by an orc. And the orc is just about to cut off his arm because he says, you don't need that to confess to whatever you're doing. But they don't need their legs. What about their legs? They don't they need don't those. Need those. I love the orc's mindset. They're, they're thinking, let's just dismember something that won't be fatal. And that's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he didn't need his legs for most of the stuff that we see. No, and Theo doesn't need an arm. And that's what the orc is about to cut off when a rondeer shows up out of nowhere. He rescues Theo by killing the orc. And then he fights off several orcs. There's a long scene of him and Theo running away from the orcs there. What do you think about this scene? The slow motion the woods? scene. Um, didn't like it. Didn't like it because it was super dramatic. It was in the middle of the episode about characters that were kind of half uh, attached to. Nothing bad happens. Uh, the, it's kind of cool. A Rondir catches an arrow and fires it back at the orc. Like, there's some kind of cool battle stuff. Then Bronwyn shows up, and I thought she was going to get killed. That doesn't happen. Mm. And then they escape out into the field, and the orcs are like, oh, we can't come out of the field because there's sunlight. But they're firing arrows at them, and the whole time they're just not really moving. The orcs are just missing with arrow shots. <laughs> And uh, I and, thought that too. Why don't they take a couple more steps out into the sunlight? Yeah, so they're get not out of range. range. <laughs> Jesus, get out of range, people. They're just sitting there, like being like, "Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you? Yeah, I'm okay. Are you okay?" What? Well, meanwhile, arrows are just going up right by their heads, and I'm like, "If arrows can go by you, past you, that means they can reach you. Get out of range." Yeah, get out of range. But they do escape into the sunlight, like you said. I want to ask you this now while I remember. We are four episodes in, and the show hasn't even addressed or attempt, attempted to address the father of Theo. Does he have a father? Is Arondir his father? I think Halibrand being his father is a much more likely story. Yeah, I mean, I guess it could be Halibrand, but there's no evidence of that whatsoever so far, and... They haven't referenced it. I guess Bronwyn's just a single mother hanging out in the Southlands, and Arondir likes her. Kind of weird, isn't it? I mean, hey, I'm not going to count anything out because they seem to just be taking liberty with whatever. So I don't think it's Arondir. I think Arondir wants to be his father, quote, air quotes. But uh, I don't know that he is. Well, I don't think he is at this point. And he's trying to teach him some stuff, but he's also not being super fatherly. I don't know. Well, I was just wondering who his real father is. But, I mean, I don't think they're even going to address that. I don't think I, that's even something they're thinking about. Unless it's Halibrand. Yeah, unless it's Halibrand. We'll, we'll see about that. Off-brand. Off-brand. So let's head back to Kazadum now. And we see Disa resonating. We mentioned how she resonates. Wait, real quick before we go, can I get a Kazad? Kazad? Doom. Doom. Do you like it any more than the first time we heard it? Nope. Nope, me either. That's why I didn't <laughs> want to give it to you. Yeah, but it's nice to say. Though. It's fun to say. Well, speaking of giving it to Disa here is singing. <laughs> I, I know oh, you want to sweet Disa. Give it to Disa. What a little short stack. She is a little strawberry shortcake. <laughs> what? I didn't say shortcake. Whatever. You're sick. 
Well, we talked about the resonating thing that they described in previous episodes, and here we see a version of it. She's singing to the mines in the hopes that the lives of the miners that are trapped underneath will be saved. They're looking at it like it's a serious procedure, like a serious ritual. Yeah, apparently singing to the rocks is a very important thing. We've never heard about this in Tokor, Tolkien lore, but um, yeah, so she... The dwarves would sing to the rocks to find out where they should drill and where they shouldn't drill, and they're asking questions. The rock, may, uh, it kind of makes sense with uh, who the dwarves are, and yeah, I like it. I I think it yeah. fits the dwarves really well, actually. Yeah, it's not bad, and it works too because the miners now escape all of them alive. Pretty neat there, but the downside is the operation has been shut down completely by the father of Durin, also named Durin. Yeah, Durin 1 shuts down Durin 2. Durin 2 is none too happy. Oh, no, he he says, I'll never talk to that old goat again. I thought he said the old gods again. No, old goat. I'll never, I'll never speak words with that old goat again. Oh, okay. Talking about his father. I thought he was laying a curse upon the gods. I'll never speak upon the old gods again. No, no, you this need to watch goat? these episodes more than once. Yeah, it, it, he says he's summoned to the west, not the east. He says his father's a goat, not a god. Bronwyn, I mean, come on. Broen, Bronwyn, what's your, what's your problem? I mean, get with the program. Listen, I saw the show once, all right? Yeah, well, he calls his father a goat, all right? And it's actually pretty funny. Well, that makes sense, because mountain goats. I was really open for your interpretation of this line delivery, because it was pretty memorable. Yeah, well, I had a full interpretation if it was the gods, <laughs> not the goats. <laughs> Which says, makes sense, not the goats. I'll never speak words with that old goat again. And he like I said, I'll never speak words with the old gods again. Isn't that much more in the uh, vein of Tolkien? No, because it doesn't fit with the conversation that comes up over the next five minutes. Where they talk about goats? No, they talk about their fathers. And the gods. <laughs> Come on. Jesus. All right. Well, to, to continue with this butchering of this scene, Elrond is there, and he tries to comfort Durin, who's angry at his father, and yeah. he talks about his own father, this was a, This was pretty touching. I did like this. Yeah, we actually teased talking about Eärendil in the last episode, and now is the appropriate time. I don't think I want to trust it to you to summarize Eärendil. I think I want to do it. Do it. All right, I will. So Eärendil was... Wrong. <laughs> Sorry, I was, just getting, I was just getting ready. I was just prepping for what I was going to say. Okay. Well, he is the son of an elf and man. So he represents not only elves on Middle-earth, but men. And after the fall of the final elven kingdom, and the elves are completely beaten into submission by Morgoth, Eärendil takes it upon himself to journey to the Undying Lands and the halls of the Valar and plea for their aid against Morgoth and they give it to him. They come back in the War of Wrath. They defeat Morgoth. And in turn, Eärendil becomes a star with the Silmaril, one of the three Silmarils, up in the sky for the rest of eternity. Yeah, but how does he get the Silmaril? Uh, I think it sinks in the ocean, and then he goes down and gets it. His wife goes down underneath and gets he it. He scuba dives and gets it? Yeah, I think so. His wife does. Man, I don't know. I don't know about that summary. Well, what... You got a better summary? Yeah, I, I can't correct it offhand, but uh, I just think it's a little skeptical. Well, the, the most important thing is that he becomes a star, and no one can fill those shoes. So if that's your father, you're probably not going to live up to your father's legacy there. The star of Erendil. And, Ga and Galadriel does mention that in The Lord of the Rings. So if you're familiar with the Lord of the Jackson's Lord of the Rings, that's part of it. So... It's something you might recognize. Yes. And Eärendil is probably the most accomplished. Oh, my God. What are you doing? I'm fucking swazing up the star of Eärendil. What do you think I'm doing, bro? That's cheating for one thing. Well, I'm just uh, checking your work. You seem to do a really good job. Okay. Well, go yeah. ahead. Fact check me up, Swayze. I just want to fact check you and make sure you're actually right. All right. And the star was one of the three Silmarils fashioned by Feanor and stolen by Morgoth. 
As a Silmaril, the star of Erendil contained the light of the two trees. Yeah, it was bright. Uh, Middle Earth encouraged the sight of the star. The light of the star guided the Dane to Numenor. Star Ward. Star motifs were thereafter closely associated with Numenor. Uh, Erendil's star was also particular. Oh, this is just the star of Erendil. It's not about Erendil. Yeah. Well, I don't think you've got anything there to prove me wrong on anything I said. Not yet. You can keep, keep digging. Keep going. But again, again, my knowledge is much greater than yours because you're cheating to try to disprove me. And you're I'm not even able to just do checking your work. And don't tell me to keep going. Don't a, be so sensitive. If your work is, is on par, if your work is on par, if your work is on par, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. You're going to look even better when you're right. All right. Well, we'll half elf mariner who voyaged to Valinor and treated yes. with Valinor. Zach's been prophesying. He was father of Elros, yes. king of Numenor, and, and Elrond, yeah. Lord of Rivendell. Yeah. First seminal character found somewhere. Liberty is being. The Valar, having listened to Erendil's plea, went with a mighty host to Middle Earth during the War of Wrath. Yes. Overthrow Mor- Morgoth and bound him. Erendil took part in the battle, riding on Vingalat beside Thorandor and the eagles. It was his blow that slew Ankalagon the Black. The biggest dragon that ever lived. The yes. largest dragon that ever lived. The greatest of Morgoth's winged dragons. And his dead body fell on Thangorodrim. Come on, man. This has nothing to do with this, what I said. Led to the ruin of Balorand. Erandal's fate was to eternally traverse the great ocean with the Silmaril that Baron and Luthien had wrested from Morgoth, the guard, the sun, and the moon. Okay, so... So, yeah, he just picked up the Silmarillion in the stream, you said? What was that? No, in the sea, the ocean. Yeah, he just found it straying about in the sea. It's Baron's, it was the fucking Silmaril from Baron and Luthien. Okay, that doesn't mean it didn't end up in the sea. <laughs> it goes to Thingle after that. <laughs> I don't want to look this up oh further. Oh, my God. Can we let's you, just no, both no, agree listen. that? Let's just both agree that you're wrong. No, you. I literally just said word for word. You what, said you he read found out of the this, computer. You he said goes he, and treats with the Valar. He goes and overthrows Morgoth. I said oh my God. word for word. You, you I said, said he, memory. You said he found the Silmaril in the fucking ocean. You're pissing me off here. Okay, uh, good. For good. one thing, you're fucking horrible at Google. So let me just look this up here real quick. No, don't you look it up. Oh, I no. looked it up. I Swayze. You don't Swayze. No, you're horrible at Swayze. Silmarils. I Swayze. What happened uh. to them? Here, that's easy. Silmarils. <laughs> what happened to them? Now, that's a horrible Google search right there. No, that's pretty easy. Here, let's see. Well, you got the one that, um, what is it, Matrix? All right, here it is. No, no, hold on. Here, just listen for a minute. One of the Silmarils was recovered by Baron and Luthien. <coughs> Karkaroth killed by Juan. All right, here it is. It was later taken to the Valar in the east by Urindil, mm-hmm. son of Tuor and Idril, heir of Baron and Luthien, as a token of repentance. Yeah, so just real quick, read to me where he found that in the ocean. Okay, so I said about three minutes worth of things, and I get one thing wrong. While you aren't even brave enough to, to even say anything, you have to get on Google like a bitch. <laughs> Let me get my Tolkien knowledge off Google and pretend I know Listen, what I'm talking about. Hey, I just knew to check your faulty work, okay? That's all, all right? Okay. Listen, you're, if you're, you're doing like... the next summary, and I'm going to rip your fucking Listen. asshole. Technical difficulties. Oh, God. That, we were in the middle of a great fucking piece. Oh, God. I can't wait to get you on this, too. <laughs> because I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. Okay, keep going. Keep going. Because uh, I'm just... I, all I was saying was that that was like... Arendo had a specific way that he got the Silmaril. I well, just couldn't. What I, couldn't I just re- read. Didn't hey, even to be say that. fair, I would like to acknowledge right now. To be fair, I didn't remember how it happened. I just remember. Boom! Boom! Suck just, on this, bitch. Listen what, to this. What? 
When Feanor's sons, who wanted the Silmarils back, heard about this, they attacked Arvernian and killed most of the people living there. Elwing, the wife of Eärendil, rather than be captured, threw herself with the Silmaril into the sea. Almo bore up Elwing out of the waves. <laughs> you just you just proved your point wrong. No, Almo bore her out of the I sea. Said, up I said into his went into the ocean to get it, and that's exactly what happened, word for word. Well, the congratulations, wife, you're almost right. Suck on that. You tried to just you, you no 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 you no 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 no. Me right. Let me just screenshot this and fucking send it to you. <laughs> Why don't you screenshot a picture of my dick and send it to you? Because that's bullshit. <laughs> oh, that's he great. He bore that her out great. of the sea. Elwing, a very important character. He made her the fucking star. Put her up there. Elando carries her now across the sky. They got the Silmaril out of the sea. Erendil took it out of the sea, took it to the gods as a token of repentance. Nothing that I said was wrong. All of that was correct, including... Erendil no, did not find the Silmaril in the sea. I didn't say he found it in the yeah, sea. I said he said. retrieved it out of the sea, which is exactly no, where they came It from. was brought to him upon high from somebody I else. I even said his wife down. flew down to get it. His wife. You didn't I even say that. that. You never I did said say that. that. Oh, it's all on the tape, buddy. You're it's fucking, you're out tape. of line. You're Listen. ridiculous. You're out of line. Listen, just because you were wrong and I proved myself right. You proved you yourself you wrong. You no, read the, no. You read I, the shit off and you were word. wrong. Word for word. Oh, my Got it God. right. Word for word. Listen, I'll give it to you. Okay. You're going to get half a point because it came from the sea. Kind of. Uh, uh, but you were definitely wrong about where he retrieved it from. No, I said he got it from his wife, who got it from the sea. No, you said he got it from the sea. He did. You said he pulled it out of the sea. I also said his wife was the one to get it. It was in the sea. I mean, you, now you're trying to get into, like, uh, logistics about it. Like, he wasn't the one to get it. His wife, his fucking wife. <laughs> well, if you get into logistics of it, he got it from a mountain. In the where Fanor yeah, listen, carved it and turned it into a Silmaril. You're grasping at straws. I mean, just take a breath and let's finish the show here. All right. Well, you're close to right. I'll give you credit. You're you're close to right. I drilled it. I'm all I, I was saying. It. All listen. It didn't. It shouldn't have turned into this. Okay. Oh no. It all I was saying. Have. All I was saying was, you know, the story smelled a bit fishy to me, and I wanted to clarify, and now we've clarified. Okay. You took issue with me saying I was going to summarize that. Well, okay. I had issue with you misrepresenting Tolkien, much but like I, I did. Much though. like I, I have issue with Amazon misrepresenting Tolkien. You and Amazon, you probably get along perfect. Oh my! I why not have an eagle? That. Why not eagle have a? Why not have an eagle fly the Silmaril over the fucking to a Randall? You're going to need an eagle to help you win this podcast at this point because you are so far behind. You're going to need you're going to need a flight of eagles. You. You're going to need a flight of eagles to get back from this one. You're like Ankagalon along the black. Your corpse is just destroying the entire no. podcast. If I'm Ankagalon along the black, you're Thango Rodrim. I just crushed you. All right, bitch. You don't even exist uh, anymore. You didn't crush anything. I just owned that whole segment. I'm going to leave it all in just to leave just it all in. You. All leave of it all in. And including let the part where know. your mic cuts out. Listen, let everybody know just how off base you were. Uh, well, no, no, you wait. weren't that off base. I'll give you that. You weren't yeah, that off Yeah, I drilled it, dude. I drilled it. Yeah, you drilled it. Came from yeah, you drilled a whole three inches to the left of where it should have been drilled. <laughs> Insane. I told you where it came from. All right, who all retrieved right. it, who they took it to. Listen, everything. you've ruined another podcast. Yeah. Let's move on. All right, let's move on. But we can agree on this, right? Yerendil mm -hmm. did turn into a literal star among yeah. elves. Yeah. And Elrond has to live up to that that standard set by his father. Which is, <laughs> that's tough. <laughs> that's obviously impossible. And so he uses this to relate to Durin's anger at his own father. He yeah. says... If only I had one more chance to talk to my father before he became a star, then I wouldn't have any negative feelings toward him. I'd just be happy to talk to him. And Durin understands this and, and takes it to heart. Yeah. And if there's anybody that almost lives up to their father being a literal star, it's Elrond. He's, he does it. He does. But Durin now, thanks to the words of Elrond, he goes and talks sweetly with his father 
and his father forgives him. Actually, he says, my friend, there is nothing to forgive. So they stole another line directly from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. Just right out of the movie. They just took the same exact line. Yeah. And, and the problem with this is it's like double watered down. <laughs> so it's like, you know, lines from the movie are very closely related to lines of Tolkien, but always a little bit off. And now you're stealing lines from the movie, which were diluted from Tolkien, which is now double diluted into what we're getting here, which is the sea is always right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, there, it's almost like a game of telephone where you say one thing, then the next guy tries to repeat it. And by the time it gets to the end, it's a completely different phrase. Yeah. It's a completely different phrase and story. And you're just like, that's not what the original person said. Well, the point of the scene with the two Durins is the elder Durin doesn't fully believe in Elrond's purpose as to why he's there in Khazad-dûm, and he tells his son Durin to go to Linden and investigate and find out why the elves want to know what they're up to in the mines. Smart. So there, yeah, a little bit of deception on both sides. And yeah, what's well, smart? Because uh, Durin rightfully senses something is up with the elves. And the elves have ob- obviously sent... Uh, I mean, El- Elrond is sent there on a mission to get the elves to help work to build the forge, right? But what we know right now is that they do want something from the, el- from the doors. Yeah, or as Durin puts it, there's something more at play. So that's what they're going to be doing. He's going to Linden to uh, find out more about the elves' purpose. And we will head back to Arondir, who finally delivers the message to the Southlanders. Some of them receive his words and understand that they can fight back against the orcs that are coming to invade. But Waldrig, which I think we haven't named this guy yet, that's the barkeep guy, Waldrig. He gets kind of real creepy and real evil toward Theo. And he starts saying, have ye heard of the power of Sauron? Have you heard of him? Have you heard of Sauron? What's up with this guy, Waldrig? Well, he's obviously a uh, an original Sauron fan. <laughs> before they were before they were famous, he was a closet Sauron loyalist. At this yeah. point, he's a Sauron hipster, and uh, yeah, he or was that like we know that the uh, the Southlands were, were rife with people who who gave themselves to the Dark Lord and committed evil, I guess. I guess they, they sided with evil, so he's now been put in place in our eyes as the leader of who is going to betray the Southlanders to evil. Yeah, he's the dissenting voice among the Southlanders, but he's the one that represents the bad half. Of the- but he, he also has the same exact scars that uh, Theo has from using the sword, so in my eyes, I'm like, yeah, he knows about the sword. He's used the sword to obviously his own whatever, but uh, he didn't hide the sword well enough, I guess. I, I don't know. Yeah, he must not have hid it well enough from Theo. Theo got, got it and started playing with it. Always lock up your guns if you're a gun. Lock your guns and your evil possessed swords. <laughs> yep. For the orcs part at their camp, they go back and tell Adar where the weapon is because now they know after their interaction with Theo. And this is setting up an assault on the watchtower of the elves, but we're not going to get to it this episode, unfortunately. Not yet. But we are going to wrap up this episode with Galadriel preparing to depart Numenor without the necessary army. And it looks like she's just going to have to leave and fight evil all on her own. But... At the last moment, spurred on by some falling tree petals, Muriel, the queen, <laughs> she changes her mind and she commits an expeditionary force to serve the purpose of Galadriel and aid the Southlanders. Yes, and she sends her entire cavalry, which it's an island. Yeah. Well, I, I do remember reading that the Numenorians greatly valued horses, but I don't think they used them in battle. I think did they, they have did they have a large cavalry and no. also you're sending how many ships and how many of those have horses on them? Logistically, I don't know if it really works, but uh, we've we've been forced to believe it, so we have to believe that they've sent 
an army of horses and men to Middle Earth, east, not west, uh, to the Middle Middle Earth to help protect the Southlands. Yep. Well, you say they send soldiers, but in fact, they just accept volunteers. And... Yeah. More like the National Guard. <laughs> Isildur and his 14-year-old friends are the first to sign up for this expedition. So it doesn't matter that they were kicked off the Sea Guard earlier in the episode. Now they're booking a passage to Middle-earth to fight in this very important battle. And that's setting up, hopefully, a much more exciting episode next week. We're now halfway through the series, and uh, not a lot happened here. No Harfoots in this episode either. Yeah, yeah, we didn't get anything from the Harfoots. Uh, and at this point, like, you know, b- beforehand, we're complaining about their spreading it out. It's moving too slow. And they kind of focused it down a little bit, and it's still also moving too slow. Nothing happened in Numenor. They were there the whole episode, and all that really happened was they bickered about going or not going, and then eventually they decided to go. And that's yeah. it. That was the whole thing. Well, that's that's on par with Tolkien's books because sometimes he would have Gandalf explain for six pages why they should take the road west. So, you know, I, I guess that that matches up. But for uh, visionary, for people watching the show, boy, it's it's not super exciting. No, and the big difference with Tolkien's writing is it's fun and exciting and not yeah. boring. This stuff, especially the Numenor stuff, really not not great. Yeah, I was a little this this episode definitely is forgettable. I could have uh I could have used a little bit more action and less talk. Yeah, I think this marks the low point of the four episodes we've seen so far and reviewed. This is the worst of the bunch, I would have to say. Yeah, it doesn't develop a whole lot and it uh it's just like the middle of the bone, you know, it's like the, it's not the beginning. It's not the end. It's like you're stuck in the middle and your teeth and your jaw are tired, but you still got to chew through this meat. Yep. And we're going to keep chewing. And so if there's four more episodes, maybe they'll, maybe they'll pick it up here. In the back yeah. Back. We're halfway through. They've set up a lot of stuff. Please deliver. Yep. Let's hope that they deliver. Uh, did you have any favorite lines from this episode? Hmm. Uh, lucky my future queen could convince a water rat to wear a mink coat. That's from Durin. That's from Durin. And then also from Durin, as dwarves' anger outlives even elven memory. That's true of dwarves. They hold a grudge. Yeah, they do hold a grudge well. And I like that. I like both those quotes, both of which are from Durin. So you can imagine what's exciting me and what's not. Yeah, I think we've made no secret. Our favorite story is the the story of the dwarves so far. Yeah. But my favorite line came from Galadriel. I already mentioned it, but I just want to say it one more time because it was fun. I I love her delivery when she says, there is a tempest in me that will not be quelled by you, Regent. 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 She hurls it like an insult. Yep. And then she's back in jail in the next scene for sedition. So pretty cool. There is a tempest in me. Yeah, there really is a tempest in her because she can't calm down. Yep, and I'm into it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I think that does it for episode four of The Rings of Power. Did you have any final thoughts or anything you wanted to add here? Well, just that my final thought so far is that, like, you know, I'm enjoying the show because it is entertaining uh, and it's very well done, but uh, I'm ready. Show me, show me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, you know what I mean? Get better, uh, get better quicker, get better quicker because I want this story to progress and I want the stuff that's happening. And if you're doing it slow and building and building it, that's great. Like that's what we want, but we need it soon because we're going to (laughs) lose, we're going to lose interest soon. Yeah. Well, one thing I will say about this is I have rewatched almost all the episodes, if not all of them, just because, you know, I love the world and I want to, pick things up that maybe i missed and they do get better on second viewings all of these episodes get better on the second viewing i do agree with you though this this does need to pick up and all we can do is hope that it does in the next episode yeah and all else we can do is hail morgoth hail morgoth and hail to your mother too hail to your mother
All right. Well, thank you, everybody, once again, for joining us for the Rings of Power. And we'll see you next week for episode five, Partings. Bye-bye, y'all. Hey, my Everyone loves movies, from Webster to Morocco. Who needs rotten tomatoes when you've got the rancid tacos? This podcast is brought to you by West Virginia Pepperoni Rolls. I'm going to have to leave in our argument with you. Oh, that was great. I mean, it sucked that it cut out like the, my, my thing. Literally, I knocked. I got so animated. I was moving my arms around. I knocked it out of the fucking socket. I figured that's what happened. But that was that was uh, I think that was pretty good stuff, especially because I ended up winning. Mm, half win. No, dude, that was a full win. No, you got, you got you... nothing out of that. What do you mean? You got no points for that. You didn't pr- provide any knowledge. I called you out on the fact that that was not accurate. And it, but it wasn't was accurate. actually very accurate to what you were saying. What part of it was not accurate? He I can't wait to run fi- this fucking he, tape back. Iarendil did not find it in the ocean. It was born up to him by his wife, by a god. Out of the ocean. Out of the ocean. Like it had, it was from the ocean. Yes. <laughs> that was why you got half points. That's like saying that if I buy shrimp from Walmart, they didn't come from the ocean. Probably like, didn't. They still come from the ocean, probably. <laughs> shrimp live in the ocean, <laughs> but the ones from Walmart aren't the freshest. Okay. That's all I'm saying. It's like if I didn't tell you the owner of the Silmaril at every moment in the first stage, you were going to try to claim that I was wrong. And I just drilled. I mean, I just nailed it. And you were just well, like, no, something no. must be wrong. And it wasn't wrong. It will be. It's, it'll be a fun one because you you have you have some like you're on you're on the mark, but you're not on the mark. You know, you're around the mark, but you're not on the mark. You get no points if all you can do is prove me wrong. You have to actually provide something over top of me. To, all to, I did, get a point. all I did was clear. All I did was say that that's not extremely. I, now I called you out because had I not said that, we would have just gone on believing that that was the true story. That know? was the true story. There was and nothing. That's about not that. the true story, though. Elendil did not find the Silmaril in the ocean. The Silmaril what? was born up to him after he was gifted. The uh, ability to be the star, it was oh, given no, no. to him. No, it was, no, no, it was born up to yes. him out of the wrong, Silmaril wrong, was wrong. in the ocean. No, he took the Silmaril as a token of repentance to the Valar when he begged for their help. This is long before he You said he found it in the ocean. No, I said his wife gave it to him out of the ocean. No, I think you need to play true. it back. I think you need to play it back and listen to what Oh, I've got to say, we're gonna, I'm gonna listen to that. Trust me. Yeah. Almo bore up Elwing out of the ocean with the Silmaril. So, so that, a god, that did happen. A god gift bared his wife out of the ocean with a Silmaril and gave it to him. And then they all were like, you need to fly around the world no, and be and, a star. No, he gave it back to him. And then he took the Silmaril to the Valar and gave it to them. And they said, oh, okay, well, we'll fight in the War of Wrath. But afterward, you're going to take the Silmaril and become a star. And he's like, okay, fair deal. So he goes and fights in the War of Wrath as a human and then becomes a star. Well, that's not what you said originally. So all I did was call all I did was call for clarification and you took great offense. You took you great didn't offense. call for clarification. You immediately got on there and tried to sneakily no. crazy. I called for clarification because I was like, this story does <laughs> not sound accurate. It and was accurate. I didn't know I didn't know the exact story of it. And oh neither, God. obviously, did you. But you were close. You were on par with it. But I would love to see you try to s- recap that. You wouldn't have got anywhere close to that. You wouldn't even probably have got, like, not. Probably not. But guess who did ask who to clarify it? I asked no. you to clarify. You didn't it. ask me to clarify. You let me blather on like an idiot while you were swaying <laughs> on fucking Google. Well, I just sensed bullshit, and I called your bullshit. 
but you were wrong. I, you called it and you were wrong. So no, I wasn't wrong. wrong at all. You used your challenge it. flag and you lost. And I you no threw more my challenge flag and it turned out you only had <laughs> it turned out you only had one toe in bounds. Nope, both feet down. Touchdown <laughs> is good. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to run that tape back because I'm like fully, fully confident. You're gonna yeah. have to swallow this eventually. Yeah, well, you're going to have to hear exactly where you went wrong in the beginning and then shifted your story. That's what you're hoping. I don't think that's going to No, that's case. what you did. And actually, I'm pretty sure I prefaced saying I it's wasn't okay. sure. I'm Listen, pretty sure I said I wasn't stop, sure, but I think it's from the sea, and I think his stop, wife got it. Yeah, stop taking so much offense because it's a lot of things to remember. Like, I wouldn't have remembered the story specifically as that, but I just remembered <laughs> – I just remembered. I happened to be like, no, that doesn't sound exactly well, right. The truth of the situation. And that's is when I'm you on... started. That's no, when no. you started challenging me for Wrong. challenging you. And no. I said, let me swayze it up. I swayzed it up. And yeah, you were I half there. right. I was there for the whole thing. The truth of the matter is. Yeah, you had one you're toe in bounds. You're the offended party. I'm the one on defense here because I'm the one putting my neck out saying the theory. You're the one trying to prove it wrong, but you fail. You know, that's I didn't the... prove it wrong. I was just clarifying. You were trying okay? to. You, you tried no, to be on the offensive. You were offended by true. my version of events. That's you were offended not true. I by just, what I said. I just knew that what you said was not completely accurate. But it was, is the facts of it. No, it wasn't. Oh, it was. It was. No, it was not. Man, Stop me, saying that. Let me listen to this fucking tape. And by Stop the way, saying that. did you get the screenshot that I sent you proving my point? No. Yes, you did. Yeah, no. Like, listen, we under. I understand what happened. You said that Irandil found the Selmaril in the ocean. No, I never said the word found ever. Yeah, he didn't it was just something stumble, like that. It was something like that. Stumble and then, upon the Silmaril. And then you shifted your story to, oh wait, Omo bore up the the Selmaril to Elwing, who then gave it to uh, Irandil. Actually, so, what I said was. Eorindel went to the Valar to plea for mercy and to plea for their help de- defeating Morgoth. And then you said, with the Silmaril. And I said, yes, with the Silmaril. And then you said, and where did the Silmaril come from? So you were challenging me. I never even brought up that version of events. I responded in kind by answering your question correctly, but I never attempted to explain where that Silmaril came from. You insisted no, on that. not true at all. You need all to go true. back and listen to the tape. I'm going to. I want to listen, listen to it and call you back, though. I want to continue this. Argument. Yeah, listen to it. Call me back, and, right. and when you feel, when you realize, give me you, ten minutes, man. I'll when call you, you hear right the back. wrong shit that you said, call me back and apologize. Okay, give me ten minutes. No. Bye. <laughs>